Well, good morning, Bridges. It feels like uh, uh, so long ago that you guys uh, commissioned us, um, but it really has only been a couple of weeks. But it's good to be back here in the life of the church uh, of Bridges and just the, the, during the life of the worship. Uh, so thank you guys for having me today and allowing me to share with you guys. But uh, my brother was notorious uh, for daring people to do just both silly and stupid things for money. Uh, growing up, he actually managed to get people to do just absolutely hilarious things for a couple of bucks. He once for five dollars as a five dollar dare. He dared me to drink a water bottle uh, full of vinegar, just just like just drinking it straight. And uh, and I technically somewhere he heard that this challenge was like one of these things that's really hard to do, close to impossible to do. And so what does he do? He challenges his younger brother to do it. And technically, I actually did drink the whole bottle, uh, but immediately after, I threw the whole thing up. It was just <laughs> disgusting. But as I was doing it, I had friends around me, my brother was around me, and they're just cheering me on. Come on, come on, come on. It's worth it. It's worth it. You're halfway there. It's worth it. Right? He once got uh, one of my best friends uh, to eat one of those Costco-sized bags of M&Ms. You know, those like three-pound bag or five-pound bag. Or I, don't, I don't know what it is, but it's just those gigantic bags of peanut M&Ms. And my friend naively uh, accepted the challenge, right? It was, it was $5 to eat the whole bag in four hours without throwing up. And my friend naively accepted this challenge. He's like, yeah, you know, I like peanut M&M's. He eats it. He gets, he's going through it. And I kid you not, with minutes left, he has two M&M's in his hands. And he's looking at it. And I'm cheering him on. I'm like, come on, dude, it's just two M&M's. Just eat it. Finish it. You get your five bucks. And he's staring at it. And right before he, he goes to eat them, <laughs> throws up the entire three-pound bag. Right, but the worst dare I think he probably ever did was, did was with his best friend, David. Um, I, I've mentioned before with you guys that I grew up on a horse ranch, and one of our daily chores was cleaning up uh, the horse, horse stalls, right? cleaning up the horse poop. It's a disgusting job. And uh, it was this day, we were all up there doing it. It was right after it had rained. It had just completely poured in the area. And basically what, what happened is, is that the, the rain would just kind of like sweep up all the horse manure, all the horse urine, this nastiness, and it just created like this mud pile of grossness, this poop pee urine pile of festering nastiness. And we're up there cleaning this, and my brother sees this poop pee mud pile of grossness, and he looks at it, and he looks at his friend David, and he's like, want to make 10 bucks? And then he dares them to go, go swim in it. And so first, first his friend is like, nah, I don't think that's worth it. I don't think that's worth it at all. And I was like, bro, dude, Brosephine, listen to me. You know what you can buy with $10? You can buy two California burritos, right? And I don't know what it was, but back in the day, California burritos was worth gold. And so he jumps in this. Because he accepts it, all right, you put it that way. He jumps in it, he swims around, makes a couple of snow angels in it. He gets out, smells horrible. We hose them off, and we think it's done. This is a true story. It's a horrible story. It's a true story. Days later, he starts peeing urine. And he goes to the doctor to find out that he had a urinary tract infection. And he didn't have health insurance. Horrible. Let's just say the $10 didn't cover it. I later ask him, I say, so was it worth it? Was all this worth the two California burritos? Nope. <laughs> that question, is it worth it? Right? Or that idea, it's worth it, it's worth it. Or, or just the question for us, is it worth it? 
It's just our way of kind of balancing, of contrasting the pros versus the negatives, like the advantages over the disadvantages. Is, is the benefit going to be worth the loss, worth the price, worth the cost? Well, as we read through Paul's letters to the Philippian church, uh, we can't help but recognize that preaching the gospel for Paul has come at an enormous cost. He finds himself imprisoned by the Roman guard. He is in chains for Christ because of his love for Jesus, because of his zeal to preach the gospel. And so the question begins to emerge, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is, is the gospel worth this pain, this agony, this persecution? Is it worth the change? Is it worth the labor? Is it worth the work? Is it worth putting up with difficult people for? And throughout Paul's life and his ministry and in the letters that he writes, we can see this very powerful answer. Yes, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it all. He's worth every prick of pain, every conflict, every second of prison. Jesus is worth dying for. The good news of the gospel is just that good. So as we continue to read through Philippians today, I want us to ask ourselves that question. I want us to ask ourselves, do we really think Jesus is worth it? Do we really think Jesus is worth it? I want us to share Paul's joy in seeing the the, uh, gospel advanced. But in order to, to have that kind of joy, we have to know in the bottom of our hearts that the gospel really is just that good, that the gospel really is worth it. We're going to be picking up today in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. You guys can turn with me now if you have your Bibles. Now remember, Paul has been imprisoned by the Roman Empire. And actually, as far as Paul knows, as far as Paul thinks, he's going to go die because of preaching of the gospel. And he's now writing this letter to the Philippian church, presuming that it might actually be his last letter he writes to them. Yet in the midst of this oncoming persecution, this is how Paul responds, picking up in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fears. Now let's paint a picture of what Paul's really trying to get at here. He is a prisoner. He's been a prisoner for a long time. And the Philippian church hasn't heard from him for a long time. Remember Paul went around and he planted these churches. And he planted the church in Philippi. And they haven't heard from him. Some scholars think that it might have been years since they last heard from him. They had no idea what's going on with Paul. Is he alive? Is he dead? Have the Romans killed him like they've killed so many other brothers and sisters in Christ? Right, remember, there isn't like a, a CNN news, a news broadcast going on that's following the, the trial of the Apostle Paul. That, there's nothing like that. The, the, the Philippian church is completely in the dark. They have no idea. They just know that he's disappeared. That he's been arrested. And this is, Paul doesn't really address their concern for his well-being. Instead, this is what he says. He says, what has happened to me has really served the advance of the gospel. He's not worried about his life. He's not worried about his well-being. Instead, he is joyously celebrating that the gospel has been advanced. But let's ask the obvious question. Why? Why has Paul's imprisonment advanced the gospel? And this is what he says. He says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard 
and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so there were guards watching uh, Paul day and night, right? Typically or often in a, in a Roman prison, there would be a guard stationed for every prisoner. Sometimes the guard would even be chained to the prisoner, right? And then they would, you know, wait out their shift, however many hours would go by watching the prisoner, and then they would change out with another guard and change out with another guard. And so here's Paul, just hanging out with his guard one-on-one. And he makes the opportunity. He makes, he makes that, that opportunity. He sees this possibility. And so he begins to share his passion, his zeal, his heart for the gospel. Just sharing, this is why I'm in prison. This is why I'm in chains. Is because I care that much about Jesus. And so, and so as one guard would then change out, the next one would come in. And he would start it all over again. And over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't long before Paul, Paul could say, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Paul has began to make a reputation of himself amongst the Roman guards. I mean, think about how people make reputations for themselves, right? Think about this. I know uh, uh, back when I worked at Starbucks years ago, there was this guy who would come in, and he would every single day, maybe five or six times a day, he would come in and get a refill uh, with coffee. And I don't know if you know this, but you, if you have one of those uh, uh, Starbucks gift cards and it's registered, you can actually get uh, refills with brewed coffees, right? If the same day purchase, you can come keep, keep getting refills. And this guy, we called him the refill guy. He literally would come in five, six times a day and just keep getting refills, keep getting refills. And the thing is, I'm actually never really convinced whether or not he actually bought the coffee to begin with. Right? I, me- I remember like at 5.30 in the morning, like we opened 15 minutes ago, he would come in with this brand new clean cup, Starbucks cup, completely dry, and it's like, refill please. And I'm like, dude... We've been open for 15 minutes. There's no way you've already bought this coffee. Right, but he insisted, and, we, and we, you know, we gave it to him. But, but the whole store knew. We had this expectation. You see him coming in off the street, you know, oh, man, here comes Mr. Refill, right? And so like, like the refill guy, Paul had created this reputation amongst the guards. Guards knew that if you're stationed with Paul, if you're watching Paul, you know you're going to hear about Jesus. He had this reputation. This is what I care about. This is what I'm in chains for. And other people knew that. And my guess is, is that Paul probably looked at those guards the way Jesus saw them. This wasn't just some guy, some soldier. This wasn't just some guy who's persecuting him. This was a guy that Jesus died for. This was a guy that Jesus looked at and said, I know him. I want him. I love him. And Paul was moved by that. He was moved into action. He was moved to say, it's just important enough. It's worth it. I'm going to share. I'm going to talk. So visualize this. Paul is in chains. And as far as he knows, he's going to die for preaching the gospel. But he isn't complaining. He's celebrating. Why? Because the gospel is worth it. The gospel, the advancement of the gospel is just that worth it. He knows the gospel is worth the persecution. And he's celebrating that every single guard in that prison knows that he knows that. He's celebrating that. He's not complaining. I want to be like Paul. <laughs> I, I want to be like Paul. I want to have that kind of a reputation in my world. I, I want people to think of me as that guy who really, really loves Jesus. I want that for all Christians. I want people to see Christians from afar coming up and they know that guy, that girl, that woman, they love Jesus. They want to mimic him. They want to follow him. They want to be like him. 
I want that to be the case for Christians, that we have this reputation of having a zeal for Jesus. Now, Paul made that reputation for himself amongst the Roman guards. And so I'll ask you, what kind of a reputation can you make for yourself in your world, in your family? What kind of a reputation do you have? Do people know you love Jesus? Do people know that? Does your family know that? They might know that you just you know, kind of go to church or kind of care about Jesus or something, but I want to know, do they really know how much Jesus matters to you? Do they know how precious he is to you? Do your coworkers, is your boss, your students, your kids? I think one of the most basic steps in evangelism that each and every single one of us can make is just make it known to the people around you and the world around you, you go to church. You love Jesus. The gospel matters to you. Just make it known. Right? You don't always have to be shoving it down someone's throat. Sometimes you can just have, just make it clear. This is what I value. This is what matters to me. Make that clear. Make that known in people's lives. And often that opens up all kinds of doors, all kinds of conversations. I look back uh, at my evangelism, uh, the different times that God has placed me in, in areas where I was effectively evangelizing with people. I think about my work at Starbucks, at Costco, at a movie theater when I was a janitor, worked at a school. I think about the different colleges I went to, the non-Christian colleges I attended, at San Diego State, at Long Beach. I think, I think about the relationships I built with people. I would engage with them, I would interact with them. I would love them the way Jesus would love them. I would practice being Jesus in their life. I listened to them, something we often don't do enough. Really listen to people. And at some point in time, I would make, be intentional to just make it known that I care about Jesus. That I love my Bible. I read my Bible. I wouldn't shove it down their throat. I'd just make it known And from there, I would let the Spirit work. And it was never long before I I engaged in these spiritual conversations with people. I think the the spiritual conversations I've had with with the unchurched, with with non-believers, the bulk of them, it started from them asking me, not me shoving it down their throat. But Paul celebrates this reputation he has with these guards. Be like Paul. Make a reputation for yourself. Because the gospel's worth that. Let's keep keep reading, uh, picking up in verse 15. Paul writes, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed... And in that, I rejoice. But, and the bottom line of what, what Paul is getting at here is despite the fact that there are these preachers who, who, who might be preaching for vain reasons, Paul is celebrating the fact that regardless, the gospel is being advanced. But notice, Paul is acknowledging, he is exhorting, he is calling out, he's recognizing that there are these preachers, there's some that do it for good reasons, but there's just others that are just doing it out of jealousy, out of rivalry. I mean, there are people who preach the Bible for the wrong reason. Right? And he's, he's recognizing that, he, he's noticing that, right? He's calling that, out, he's calling that out, but he, just, he doesn't let it defeat the positive thing that the gospel is being advanced. 
Well, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I can be obnoxious to make sure things are done in like the right way, right? That people are like following the rule, that people do it, at least sometimes even that people just do it my way. Like I'm that guy at Disneyland that when I see somebody cut in line, so help me God, I will let every single staff person know, right? I see somebody cut in line and I'm like, excuse me, sir. Yeah, that guy right there, he just cut in line. I'd like him removed from the park. I'd like him banned and arrested, please. Right, because it bugs me, because there's this idea, what's your intentions, what's your heart in that, man? I mean, you just think it's okay to just kind of sneak in? Or, or, you know, when you're getting off on a freeway, and you're like been piled up in this traffic, and there's like a hundred cars trying to get off on the same exit, and you see that car who just drives by everyone, and right at the last minute, they just kind of sneak in. I'm the person who leaves like two inches between me and the guy in front of me to make sure no one does that. Because, because there's this, like, think about their intentions. Like, they really think they're better or something, right? And it upsets me. It gets under my skin. And Paul's looking at these vain preachers, and he's calling them out for that, for that, that, uh, that vanity, that greed, that jealousy. He's calling these preachers out who preach out of greed. But notice he does the much better thing. He doesn't do what I do at Disneyland, right? He shows that extra bit of grace, and he looks at the much more positive result. He calls them out for the selfish preachers they are, but notice what he does. You notice what he follows up with. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's like, yeah, there are these guys out there that preach for all the wrong reasons. What do we do? Let's at least celebrate that Christ is proclaimed. Think about what that says about his love for the gospel. The gospel is so worth it that he, he's, he's, the fact that it's proclaimed, it's so worth it that it's worth being celebrated even if it's preached from vain lips. Right? He won't let that criticalness, that judgmentalness, that envy, that, that rivalry get in the way. Right? He won't let that competitiveness get in the way of celebrating the advancement of the gospel. I'll tell you, there are too many churches today that are competitive. But there's just this spirit of competitiveness, and sometimes they're just critical. They'll be looking at it, the church next to them, and they're just like so quick to be like, ugh, their music is too loud, or something. There's just this negativity that happens there. It's just churches are too competitive today. Well, over the last few weeks, uh, myself along with, with our, our team that's planning the church, our team at uh, Redemption Church, that's the name, We've been going around visiting other church plants and just kind of compiling uh, things to do, things not to do, right? Just learning from this experience. And I'll be honest, uh, there was one, two churches that we visited that, uh, especially Nicole and I, we just had a lot to say, uh, a lot of critical things to say. Uh, specifically about actually like, just it seemed like their, their strategy and maybe even their intentions seemed a little off. Right? And it was so easy to be, be critical of the littlest thing they say about how they talked about tithing or how they, or whatever it was, how they talked about numbers. But it just seemed like something was off. And it was so easy for Nicole and I to sit here and, and critique and critique and critique and critique. But usually by the end of the day, Nicole and I, we would be reminded, we would get reminded, this is Jesus' church. I mean, they weren't distorting the gospel. They weren't manipulating it. They were still preaching the gospel. It just seemed like there's some, something else there that we didn't like. But we were reminded, this is Jesus' church. Right, this is Jesus' church. And every church has a different DNA. And they attract a different group of people. 
And Jesus has different goals and wants from each and every single one of them. And so we should exhort and call out the sin in churches, no doubt. But just as important, we should be celebrating the work that Christ is doing in his bodies, in his church. We should celebrate the gospel being spread regardless of what church or what pastor. And that's what Paul is doing here. Why? Why is this so important to do? Because the gospel is just that worth it. It's just that worth celebrating. It's just worth celebrating its advancement, regardless of from, from what lips. Let's continue reading uh, what Paul has to share. Starting in the second half of verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So here Paul's intentions uh, often can be misunderstood. I think it's made clear as you, as you read the next couple of verses, but it almost sounds like Paul is saying, well, as long as you guys keep praying for me, as long as you guys pray hard enough... I'm going to be delivered from my immediate death. And I'm going to be delivered from these Roman guards. Like, I'm going to be spared. If you guys pray hard enough, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'll be delivered from these Romans. Right, but I don't think that's what Paul meant. I don't think that's how the original uh, readers would have interpreted this. Right, because Jesus painted a very different idea of what it looks like to serve and what it looks like to minister and what it looks like to be a Christian. And the apostles had the same message. Right? Uh, Jesus laid down his life for the church and told us that we should be willing to do the same. Right? I don't think Paul in this passage is expressing his concern for his life by any means. And I think to really understand what Paul is getting at here, uh, we have to understand what that, that Greek word there, askaneo, what that really means. Uh, I actually don't think it is translated easily into English, at least into modern day English. Uh, that Greek word there really communicates more of an idea of, like a, of a kind of a disappointment or ashamed from something, right? Uh, another way of interpreting this or another way of just like thinking about how, how, what Paul is really trying to say here, it's almost like he's saying, I know I won't be disappointed in the gospel. I know I won't be disappointed in the gospel. And he says, I won't be ashamed. He's talking about ashamed of the gospel. I won't be disappointed in the gospel. God will deliver me in life or in death. Because notice, right after saying, I won't be ashamed, right, he says, Christ will be exalted in my body in life or in death. Right, Paul isn't saying, I trust that God will save my life right here from the Romans. That's, that's not what he's concerned about. He's saying, whether I die or I live, I trust that Christ will be exalted. I trust that Jesus is going to be worth it. That the gospel is going to be worth it. I know I'm not going to be disappointed in the gospel. Whether I live or I die, I won't be disappointed. Recognize that Paul is is expressing his confidence in the gospel. Right? Paul lived and died for the gospel because he deeply believed that Jesus was just that worth it. And I think this is made uh, more clear as we read the next couple of verses. So let's, let's keep reading, in verse, starting in verse 21. He says, For to me to live uh, is Christ, and to die is gain. 
And if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting of Christ will, be abound, will abound on the account of me. These words have been so powerful to me in recent years. Actually, I think verse 21 has become a kind of a motto verse uh, for ministry. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is to live working for Christ. To live is to work fervently to love people and love God. To live is to give myself every day, every hour, every moment to the work of Christ. Right? Paul is saying that if I live, I'm going to keep living my life in the way of Christ. To live as Christ means to live is to mimic, to serve Jesus. And to understand that, I mean, think about who Jesus was and what Jesus said. Jesus, Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Jesus didn't come to teach us to live life for yourself. And said, he said, surrender yourself. Die to yourself. Christ taught that whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever will lose their life will find it. Right? At the heart of what Paul is saying here is that life isn't about me. Those are hard words for us to swallow, right? Life isn't about me. If I'm going to go on living, I'm going to go on living with a purpose. I'm going to go on living, serving Jesus. I'm going to go on living for the one thing that matters most. If I'm going to live, that's what I'm going to do. Because the gospel is just that worth it. Jesus is just that worth it. The gospel is worth dying for. The gospel is worth surrendering my life for. The gospel is worth giving up the whole world for. See, Paul was so confident of this because he believed that one day he was going to die and he's going to stand before God. He's going to stand before Jesus. And Paul longs to have Jesus look at him and with all his power and majesty, well, say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Paul knows that one day he's going to die and then he's going to be spending eternity in a glorious life with Jesus Christ. Paul says to live or to die is gain. To die is better by far. Those are big words, right? To die is better by far. Right? Words that, that I don't know if we always fully embrace the way Paul said them. This makes me think, why do we Christians so often fight to prolong our life as long as possible? I mean, it's like early retirement, Right? I mean, why aren't we all missionaries in the most dangerous places in the world? What are they going to do? Kill us? Please. And I don't mean to sound depressing. I just mean to say it the way Paul means it. If you really believe in the gospel, then death is a glorious next step into the splendor of eternity with Jesus. The gospel is just that good. The good news of the gospel is just that good. The gospel gives us hope in life and in death. And that was so moving. It was so powerful to Paul that it empowered him. It enabled him 
to be relentless in trying to spread the gospel. It enabled him to be relentless to advance the gospel. And that is why Paul has made this reputation of himself amongst the imperial guards for being that in chains for Christ guy. A few months back, uh, I, uh, my wife and I, we went to a one-year-old birthday party with a family uh, we, we know in Marino Valley. They're actually now a part of uh, our redemption team. But we showed up at this birthday party, and we didn't know anyone there. And we quickly realized that. And so I had it in my head. I'm like, you know what? We're just going to find some seats somewhere among some people we don't know and just start talking to them. And I, and I had it in my head that at some point in time I was going to bring up Jesus. And I was going to bring up the fact that, yeah, I'm planning a church here in Marina Valley. And so sure enough, we, we find a seat. We sit ourselves down, surrounded by these, you know, young couples, young families. And I start engaging with the people right in front of me. I start talking with them. Well, it turned out this couple, they were uh, florists. I, I have actually never, like, met a florist outside of a flower shop in my life. And I, I'm going to be very clear. I don't know anything about flowers. It was only recently I learned that not all roses are red. Right? I mean, I don't know anything about flowers. I know it's a little embarrassing. And I'm talking to this guy, and it very quickly realized that this guy was incredibly passionate. He was incredibly opinionated about everything, especially flowers. I mean, he went on and on and on talking about flowers that flower that, talking about how you can't be an amateur and try to do flowers. I mean, going on about the different colors of flowers, and I was just like, whoo. I didn't know how to interact with him, but at some point in time, I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, flowers are good. Did, did you know that not all roses are actually red? Like, some of them can be white, some of them can be orange. I had no idea how to interact with him about this, 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 this passion he had for, the, for flowers. But I listened to him talk. I listened to him talk about his flowers, the flower shop he owns, about how he just bought a condo, and he's going on and on and on about all these different things. And eventually, at some point in time, I just I casually bring up, in a non-very awkward way, but just casually bring up that, yeah, I'm a pastor. And I didn't expand on it, but it was just in the midst of saying something else. And at first, it seemed like he totally ignored it. Like he was totally opposed to it. I totally just kind of disliked the fact that I even said it. But I left it alone. And after a few minutes, he came back to it. He said, so where are you, Pastor, at? And I said, well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm starting a church here in Marino Valley. And then before I could even say more, he interrupts me. He says, oh, that's good. Because that's where all the money's at, isn't it? Now, I don't know if you've ever interacted with somebody who, who had this, like, belief that churches are about money, that pastors are about money. I mean, it's such a, a sad, and it's a very difficult conversation to have, that it's the furthest thing from truth. I mean, I had to explain to him, like, I'm not even going to be collecting a paycheck for maybe three to five years. And even when I did, it do, it'll probably be half of what I could have made ten years ago coming out of college. I mean, it was just, it just is, it just would had to talk with him, and, and luckily I had to build the rapport, and he, he listened, he understood it, and we kind of moved away from it for a little bit. But after a few minutes, he came back to it. So he said, why? And I was like, why what? And he's like, so why are you planning a church? And, and this is exactly what I told him. I said, because Jesus is worth it. Because more people need to hear Jesus, and because more people in Reno Valley need to hear Jesus. Right, and we continued to engage, and I could see the curiosity on his face. I could see the look of just, what? <laughs> and we talked, and we continued to talk about religion, and we continued to talk about Jesus. Uh, and I, and I, as I talked to this guy, I learned something. I quickly realized something. Um, I might be the closest thing to Jesus this guy has in his life right now. 
I mean, I might be the closest thing. I, and I have this opportunity, maybe this obligation, to be Jesus to him in that moment. To live as Christ for him in that moment. To help him understand why Jesus. Why church. Why the gospel. And you see, to live is Christ. To live is to make the very center of our lives about Jesus and about sharing the good news of the gospel. To live is to be the salt and the light of the world. To work endlessly to serve and to love people. To live means to be everything to all people. To be that guy who has that reputation of being uh, the guys in chains for Christ. Or the chains, <laughs> chains for Christ guy. <laughs> To be that girl who loves the Bible. To be that guy who loves his church. To be that person who has his reputation for loving Jesus. To live is to live making that reputation for yourself. To live is to be Jesus to every person you encounter. To love them without restraint. To listen to them. To listen to others. To build them up. And to show them Jesus. To live as Christ for them. To be Jesus to them. Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain because he deeply, deeply believed that the gospel was just that worth it. Jesus is just that worth it. He believed that. Do you? I mean, do you really believe that? Do you really believe Jesus is that good? The gospel is that good. I mean, as you read through Paul's words in Philippian, I hope that question really stirs in your heart. I hope you really get honest with that question. Is Jesus worth all of this? Is Jesus worth my life, my sacrifice? Is it really true for you that to live as Christ and to die is gain? Do you really believe that? Is Jesus worth giving up finances? Is he worth sweating and bleeding for? Is Jesus worth dying for? Is he worth going to jail for? Is Jesus worth talking to people about, even if it's an awkward conversation? Is Jesus worth stepping out of your comfort zone for? Wrestle with that question. Because the more confident you are of your answer, the more bold you'll be for Christ. So I challenge you, ask yourself, is Jesus worth it? And if you say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is worth it, know why. Know why you believe that. Know why you have that strong conviction that Jesus is worth everything. Know that for yourself. Be prepared to share that for your, with others. Make a reputation of yourself. <laughs> to be that guy who's willing to do anything. To be that girl who's willing to do anything for the sake of Christ. Is Jesus worth it to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the ways uh, that you've been speaking in my life and the way you've been moving me and the way that's overflowing in today. And I just ask, God, that your words, your power, your wisdom, your might just speaks into each of our lives now. That in this time, we are moved. Like Paul in the prison cell, we are moved to be bold for you. God, help us to wrestle with that question, is Jesus worth it? the gospel worth us. Help us to understand. Help us to see how valuable he is. How valuable the gospel is. Father, I thank you for your love for us, for your, for your continual work in our lives, for moving us, for changing us.
God, help us to rightly reflect on your word this day. Pray this in your name.